Thank you, Pastor Avon. Good morning. We're back in our series in 1 John. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the letter of 1 John. 1 John, if you don't have a Bible, you're more than welcome to grab one of those from the seat rack under the seat in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, this is our gift to you. Make sure you take it home and spend some time with it. As we get into the Word, uh, the, we've, been, we've been in this series, First John, talking about walking through the storm and walking with Jesus through our storms. On a day like today, it's, it's a good reminder of the storms that come our way, of the, the messiness that accompanies the storms that come our way. As we get started, I have a question. Anyone remember, I'm, uh, so I'm in this interesting generation, I'm the last generation before the internet was a thing. Do anyone remember prior to the internet actually becoming the, yeah, a few of you? How did you book tickets or how did you plan holidays or vacations back then? Anyone remember those times where we actually had to ask people and we had to imagine what places would look like or we turned on the TV to PBS and there was this guy named Rick just traveling all over Europe and we, we took his suggestions, remember those days? Well, things have changed considerably since then. Today, we just open up, pull out our phones, and you're on TripAdvisor or one of those sites, and you're constantly looking at what everyone has to say. Information is plenty. There is a lot of information out there. In the Thomas House, this is how it works. We love going on trips, we love vacations, we love exploring places, and so when it comes to a place or a hotel, uh, we love reading reviews of what people have experienced before us, and so it gives us a little bit of a glimpse as to what to expect, right? And we make our decisions based on that. Now, we have two different approaches on how we read reviews. Jen and I will look at reviews and we start from different ends. I go to the five-star reviews I, because I love seeing what's great about this, uh, this resort, what's great about the hotel. If the hotel has some pictures, I'll, that's great enough, it's good enough for me because hey, look at, look at what they offer. Jen has a different approach. She goes to the one-star reviews. She wants to know what could go wrong on this trip. Why? Would I not go there? And let's start from there and build our trust with that. Often you look up these hotels and there are thousands and thousands of reviews. There are videos and there are, there are pictures. There's so much information out there. With so many voices, whose voice do you follow? The travel agent says mine. So everyone go see Cheryl. <laughs> Whose voice do you follow? In a day and age where everyone presumably has a voice, just pull up the phone that you have or the device that you're holding onto and you're able to project. In a day where it used to, where when you spoke, it was just a handful of people listening to you. Now we live in an age where it's suddenly amplified to hundreds or even thousands of people. And in that time, in that space of all of these voices competing for your attention, whose voice do you listen to? When everyone's invited to the table and when everyone has a space at the table, it's important for us 
to discern what voices we listen to. Because when everything's coming our way, it's important for us to make decisions based on what we hear. And sometimes those decisions are trivial as to where we travel, but sometimes they are life-transforming, life-changing. In the book of John, or in the letter of John, John's been giving us a little bit of a forecast. He's been giving us a forecast of storms that the Christians are experiencing. As a matter of fact, he says, every day is going to be a rainy day. That's not what he says, but that's essentially what he's, he's saying, that Christians, as Christ followers, we live through a storm. If it's not a storm today, there'll be a storm tomorrow. There's always, there is a crisis. There is some sort of, some sort of event that's coming against you. And in those moments, how do you live? What are you holding on to that gives you the confidence, that gives you the ability to weather the storm? And we talked about this over these last few weeks about how the incarnation of Jesus in chapter 1, we talk about how Jesus, who is God, came as man so that out of love for each of us, out of love for his creation, he came as man so that he would die, he would pay the penalty, he would, he would pay the price of our sin. The incarnation, that is, the, it, that if you can Im imagine an umbrella, the handle of that umbrella, that's the incarnation that holds it all together, and the, and the covering, that is, God is light and God is love, and this is the, the image of this umbrella that we're holding on to in the midst of a downpour. And that's what we've been talking through. Today I want to talk a little bit about another storm that John's mentioning. And we're in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn there. This is what John's, John writes. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is, Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit and truth, spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John's saying this, be careful who you listen to. That's his warning. If there's Anything you take away from this message is simply this. Be careful who you listen to, who has the ability to speak into your life. Because the reality is there's going to be a lot of voices, there's going to be a lot of speech, there's going to be a lot that's coming at you. But it is your job, it is your task to discern and to understand and to allow them into your life. There are two words, test and confess, that we ought to pay attention to and keep those in the back of your mind. Here's the first thing that John's saying. Test every voice before you follow it. Test every voice before you follow it. 
See, the primary test that John's talking about is look at what the content is. Look at what they're saying. Look at what this person is speaking about. Look at what this person is proclaiming. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's the primary test. What do they confess? The test is not who they are. The test is not what they're called to or how they refer to themselves. Are they pastor? Are they prophet? Do they say something that God has spoken to them? Do they have a lot of followers in, in, in person? Do they have a lot of social media followers? Do they? Are they on a certain channel on TV? Have they written a book? Do they have a big church? What is their clout? Because we live in a day and age where any time you refer to a person or you turn on the media, you turn on the news, and there's someone that's a talking head, there's often on the, on the little screen it says all of the qualifications as to why this person's on the screen. And we judge people based on that. And we judge people based on their experiences, what they have learned, what they have done, all of these things. And these are great things to look at. But John's saying that's not the ultimate test. Any person can stand and proclaim to you. Any person can stand and speak to you. But there is a test that you ought to employ, you ought to put in place, because what they're speaking has to pass through that test. And here's the test. What do they, confirm? What do they confess? The word, the Greek word for test is a word that was used by traders and people who would get, or shopkeepers in retail, what they would do is they would get these coins. And a lot of times the coins were silver or a, a metal similar to that. And their job, when you, or your job when you received a coin like that, was you had to discern it, you had to test it, you had to make sure that the coin that you were receiving was really the coin that it was claimed to be. Whether it was silver or it's another metal coated with silver, you had to test it. Because at the end of the day, someone's giving you something of value, claiming that it cost a certain amount. It is up to you to make sure that, is, that it is what it is. And he's saying, test, understand, investigate. That's your job. Test every voice that you hear. Before you follow, test the voice. Every voice that confesses that Jesus Christ is from God and every voice that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That's the test that we're talking about. John Stott, the theologian, he says this, neither Christian, neither Christian believing nor Christian loving is to be indiscriminate. Let's pause there. Christian believing and Christian loving. Because here's what we do sometimes. Sometimes, in the name of love, in the name of brotherhood, in the name of tribe, in the name of belonging, we often overlook what's being said. We're not judging enough. We're not discriminating enough. And now you're, you're probably wondering, wait, this seems to be contrary when God calls us to love all people, when God calls us not to discriminate. But what, God, what John Stott here is saying, what John the apostle is saying is, it is good for you to question. It is good because here's what we do. 
Sometimes we overlook based on the person. We overlook based on our affinity. We overlook because, hey, we're from the same church or we're from the same family, so what they are saying must be right. Christian faith is not to be mistaken for credulity. True faith examines its object before reposing confidence in it. True faith will question. True faith will examine. True faith will weigh and examine to see if it is worth its weight. John is saying, be careful what you listen to. Be careful of the voices that you allow to speak into your life. Behind every prophet is a spirit, and behind every spirit is either the God or the devil. Before we can trust these spirits, we must test them. This is a call for all of us, especially for those of you in this room right now. Those of you in this room, I hope you're putting me through this test. I hope even as I'm standing here and talking that you're examining it based on what the scripture is saying. I hope that no matter who is standing on this platform, you put us through that test. I hope that no matter who's speaking into your life, that you put through the test. We take special care as staff here at Mount Hope to make sure that whatever is spoken from this platform matches and is aligned with the word of God. And that's why you'll probably not see a hundred different people come speak to you because we want to make sure, we want to ensure that what is said is in line with scripture. And so the question for you and I this morning is how do we test it? John is addressing a group of people, and he's addressing the Gnostics among them. So he's writing to a church, and there's this group of Gnostics, this, this group that they, what they started to do, their group that was within the church, they started to have different opinions. They started to have different theology. They, had, they were not completely different, but just different enough that people started to be pulled away. See, so often the devil, when he works, when the enemy works in the church, he doesn't present us with the exact opposite. He presents us with something that is so close to the original that people who are unsuspecting will fall for it. And this is what the Gnostics were doing. Here's what they were saying. Jesus, yes, he's God. And they respected him. They exalted Jesus as God. But what they did not do was respect or exalt his humanity. What they said was Jesus as God took over the body or God took over the, took over the body of this man named Jesus here on earth. And, they, and their theology said sometime around his baptism when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, that's when he became God inhabited the person. And then sometime before his death, God left him because they could not reconcile the fact that God would have to suffer and die on a cross. And so because they could not reconcile, this was the teaching that had crept into the church. Now on surface, doesn't look as harmful. But here's the reality. The foundation of our gospel, the foundation of our belief is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to do what? To come to this earth, to die on a cross, to sacrifice himself. God 
as man sacrificing himself. God as man taking on the pain. God as man taking on the torture. Not God giving it off to someone else to do. Not delegating it. But instead God in himself taking it on. That's the foundation of our gospel. What the Gnostics were doing was changing the very foundation itself. And John is looking at his church and he's saying, be careful who speaks to you. So the confession that John is talking about in these verses is he's saying, do they confess that they're from God, that Jesus is God? Do they confess that Jesus is 100% divine, 100% human? Do they confirm the deity and the humanity? If they do not, then they are false teachers. As a matter of fact, he calls them, he goes a step ahead. Not only are they false teachers and liars, but they're antichrists. They're against Christ, not the antichrist that we hear about in the Revelation, but anti-little Christ, little against Christ, that they have aligned themselves against the personhood of Christ. And because they have done so, they have aligned themselves against the gospel. They've aligned themselves against the church. And he's saying, first thing that you ought to do is examine their confession. Now, their confession is not just words alone, but instead confession bleeds into every aspect of, our, of their lives. Confession would bleed into who they were. Confession would bleed into how they acted. Confession would bleed into how they interacted with people. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, he says, this is how you would know who a false teacher is. Matthew chapter 7, be, be aware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the deceased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a deceased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. What they do will prove what they confess. And here's another encouragement to all of us. In a world where so much is available to us, you turn on the TV and the televangelists are on. You turn on the, uh, your phones or your media, and there's, there's so much of the gospel that's out there. John's looking at us, Jesus is looking at us and saying, be careful of the kind of media that you're consuming. Because here's the thing. You can hear what their confession is, but can you observe what their fruits are? Because that happens in the context of community. That happens in the context of a church. That happens in the context of small groups. And that's why we always encourage people to get together. Don't do life by yourself because there is a lot of one another's in the, in, in the gospels. Love one another. Care for one another. Encourage one another. Put, uh, uh, challenge one another. These are all part of living in the community. This is where fruit is born or fruit is, you bear fruit in this way. And he's saying, if a person confesses something, if a pastor confesses something, you ought to be able to observe how they live. Because how they live is going to prove their confession. 
And so the encouragement to the church is don't just be consumed by everything outside. Actually engage. Actually plug in. Actually form relationships. Put yourself in a position where you're able to observe the people that are speaking into your life. There's a secondary test in this passage, and that's in, in verses 5 and 6. And this is his test. John says, look not just at the person and their confession, but also look at their followers. Because a false teacher speaks from the world. And because they're from the world, they'll have followers from the world. And mostly because of this, their teaching aligns with the world. Their teaching encourages the values of the world. Their teaching encourages the culture of the day. They flow with the whims of culture. They'll flow with whatever culture is speaking about that day. And if you watch churches around New England, you'll see that all throughout the pulpits here. Churches that were part of the Great Awakening, churches that were part of spreading the gospel, churches that were part of calling out for holiness are no longer doing that. And he's saying, watch and look at the followers. Because a, a preacher or a teacher who is not calling out for holiness, a preacher or a teacher who is not calling out for a, a, a unique way of living, a teacher or a, whole, a preacher who is not calling out for, for a harder, a sacrificial way of living, it's easy to follow that. If all is good, it's being taught, then yes. I will follow that. And he's saying, the world will follow what the world teaches. But the one who proclaims who Jesus is will be followed by other Christ followers. We follow, we, pre we preach Jesus, and therefore we're followed by those who preach Jesus, those who confess Jesus. And that's what he's saying in verses 5 and 6. By their followers also, that's an indication of what their confession is. Now that we know the need to test, how do we do it? What do you have in you or with you that you can use to conduct this test? John is speaking to the first century audience. Now what's unique about the first century audience is this. They don't have the scripture. They don't have the New Testament. As a matter of fact, this letter that we're reading today as part of our New Testament is just approaching them. They're hearing it for the first time. They don't have the gospels written out already. They don't have the letters of Paul. They don't have the book of Revelation. They don't have the book of Hebrew. They don't have any of this. What they did have in certain places was some of the Old Testament. And most people at that time were illiterate. They could not read. And so they were dependent on someone else to proclaim the truth, to proclaim the things of Jesus. And he is, John is looking at them and he says this. You have everything you need to know whose voice you ought to follow. You have everything you need. To the people who presumably had nothing, to the people who had no, no physical Bible, no physical parchment, nothing physical to read, he's saying, you have everything you need. And here's what we, where we find it. The first is this, the Spirit of God 
is within you. The Spirit of God is within you. Most of us are familiar with alarm systems, whether it's a security alarm, whether it's a smoke alarm, whether it's carbon monoxide, fire, whatever it may be. You're familiar with the concept of an alarm system. What does an alarm system do? It alerts you. It warns you. What does it warn you about? Danger. Something is the way it's not supposed to be. A security system essentially warns you that there is an intruder, there is someone unauthorized, there is someone unwelcome in your space, and that alarm warns you, say, be careful. The smoke alarm in, it reminds you or alerts you to the fact that there's smoke somewhere in the building. There's, there is something that's not right. And now these alarms and these alert systems, they're not meant to make you comfortable. They're meant to do the opposite. They're meant to jolt you out of your whatever you're doing. They're meant to get your attention, get you out of danger. Remember a few years ago when we were still living in the apartments, Jen and I, one, one night, it's sometime in February, it's cold outside, we're dead asleep, and suddenly our alarm goes off. The, the fire alarm in the building goes off, and this is one of those alarms that has the noise, has the strobes, it's extremely loud, and guess what we do? Pull the covers right over us and said, this is going to go away. It doesn't go away. And eventually we say, you know what? We probably need to get out of here. So we make our way. There was a fire in the building. We were alerted to danger. Something was happening in the building that was dangerous for us. It's not meant to keep us comfortable, but instead get us out of the way. All of us, Christ followers, you have an alarm system within you. And that is the Holy Spirit. One of the many functions that the Holy Spirit has is to alert you to when something is wrong, when something that you're consuming, when something that you're interacting with, when something that is supposed to be one thing is not. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, this is what he says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. In the face of false teaching, you have what you need. You have the Holy Spirit, you have the knowledge. Jesus, in John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, this is what he says. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God's function is to point to Jesus, is to acknowledge the deity and to acknowledge the humanity, to acknowledge who Jesus is, to lead us in our confession of who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit leads us in truth, preserves us from error, transforms our sinful hearts into holy hearts, and directs our affections towards each other. The Holy Spirit is at work in all of us. And if you're sitting here today, here's the reality. The Holy Spirit is at work in your heart. The Holy Spirit has been given to you. 
The Holy Spirit has drawn you from your sinful state. The Holy Spirit has, been draw, has drawn you to Jesus. The work that, the fact that you have, that you're sitting here today is evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And that Holy Spirit is in you. He's able to lead you in the moments where you encounter what is fake, when you encounter what is counterfeit. He's able to raise those antennas. He's able to draw your attention. He's able to throw up the strobe lights. He's able to do the alarm and say, stop. Because where you're entering is wrong. Where you're entering is false. What you're hearing needs to be corrected. Not only do you have the Holy Spirit within you, but you also have the Word of God. See, John is speaking to an audience. John is speaking to a church who was being told that Jesus is something that he was not. The false teachers that grows up within. And we have to be reminded that John is not talking about the people outside the church. He's not talking about the atheists and the Romans. He's not, talking about, he's not talking about the agnostics. He's not talking about the enemies of the church from the outside. He's talking about the ingrown. He's talking about the people who shared the pew. He's talking about the people who shared the meal. He's talking about the people who were inside, and now they have a different view of the gospel. They have a different take on theology, and they are subverting. They are destroying what is supposed to be united. They're destroying the trueness of what the gospel is. And because the church would not bite, they have left. These are people from the inside. And he's saying to these people, John is saying this in John chapter 1. We, we heard this a few weeks ago. I have heard, I have seen, if you, have, if you want to believe in someone or in something, believe in me because I experienced firsthand who Jesus is. I put my head on his shoulder. I, put, I listened to him. I shared a meal with him. I was there when he did his miracles. I was there when he died. I was there. Listen to me. Hear me. Listen. He's pleading with them saying, you can believe in me. Not only do you have the Holy Spirit, but you also have the Word. Church, we have a luxury that the first century did not, that the first church did not, and that is this. That we have the words of the living God right here at our fingertips. That we are able to hear, that we're able to open, and we're able to read, and we're able to interact with who God is, with who God calls, who describes himself as, who God calls us to be, who God calls us to, what God calls us to live as. All of this is right here. And he says, by this and the work of the Holy Spirit, you will have victory over what's coming against you. The false teachers that are rising up against you, if you want victory over that, be in this. Because what you need, you already have. So often as parents or parents, those of you who have kids, you'll say this, you should have known better, right? Because why do we say that? Why do we say that to our kids? You should have known better. We say that because we've already warned them. We've already given them instructions. We've already said, hey, if you go this way, this is what's going to happen. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. And when they do it, whatever they got into, 
however they got hurt, however they, whatever they fell into, we often say, you should have known. You should have known better. You had all the information. And this is what John is saying. You have in you the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And so when the false teacher comes, when the false teaching is presented to you, you know better. You know better. What does this mean for us as a congregation? This is what John is saying. Know Jesus so well that you know when someone doesn't know him well. Know Jesus so well that you know when someone doesn't know him well. That you are so immersed that you know the, the real that any time the fake or the counterfeit occurs, you can spot it immediately. Set your standards high. Listen to people who are truly God-centered. The media, the sermons that you listen to, the Bibles that you read, all of this, let it, the things that, that you incorporate into your devotionals have a high standard. Let it be people who are God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated, spirit-dependent, who bear the marks of the fruit of their labor, the marks of the fruit of their confession. Watch and observe and absorb that into your life. See, our victory that John's talking about over these false teachers are linked to two things that we already talked about. One is the objective standard of truth, that is the, that is the scriptures. And the other is the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Without these two, we're not going to be able to stand against what comes our way. First John chapter 2, verses 27 says this. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but has, as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, here's his exhortation, abide in him. Abide in him. Imagine with me you were done cooking a meal at home. It's evening and you've had your meal and now it's time to clean up, it's time to put the dishes away, it's time to get everything clean and you notice that one of these dishes you scrub and you scrub and there's still, there's still food baked into the dish and you can't get it away. What do you do in, those, in that moment? You soak it. You put it in some hot water, some soap in it, and you leave it for a little while. You say, maybe I'll come back to it tomorrow, maybe tomorrow morning I'll, I'll try again. And what happens over that time? The next time you come to it after a few hours, what has happened? The dirt and the grime, they slide away quickly. You don't need to put as much effort into it. What happened in that time? See, there was a reaction that happened with that water and that dirt. There was a reaction that happened with that soap and that dirt. It's the abiding that caused that, that dish that was in the water that causes, the water causes everything to soften up. The things that were hard, the things that, were bro that, was, that was brittle, those the things that were s stuck on now suddenly is loosened up. The soap does its chemical reaction and now things are starting to break up. And John is saying this. In your moments of 
brokenness, in your moments of encountering all of this, do this. Abide in him. Soak in him. Let the Holy Spirit dwell in you. Let the Holy Spirit do his work in you. Abide in the word. Let the word have its course in you. Because what the word is going to do is as you start to interact and as you react to the word, what the word is going to do is it's going to start breaking up the hard stuff. It's going to soften up what is hard. It's going to take, it's going to reveal to you. It's going to help you. It's going to address some of the hard things in your life that you have to deal with, that the Holy Spirit has to do his work on. That's what abiding does. And as you abide, what happens is the dirt gets washed away and you are made clean again. As you abide, what happens is you get to know your creator. As you abide in the word, you get to know the heart of God. You get, as you abide with the Holy Spirit, you get to abide and you get to understand his heart. You get to understand his move. You get to understand his passion. You get to understand and you get to see yourself as he sees you. What you do have as you abide is an experience with the original, with the real, so that when the counterfeit comes, you know it. And he's saying, abide in him. Know Jesus so well that you know when someone doesn't know him well. Know Jesus so well. Be in the word. And that's why we always say every Sunday, if you don't have a Bible, please, this is our gift to you. Take one with you. Stay in the Word. Soak in it. Read it. Engage with it. Encounter with it. Join a Bible study. Join, join a group. Join community so that you're able to abide in the Spirit and in His Word. I'm going to invite the worship team back up as we close this, this morning. Just about a month ago, you may have heard the story or the tragic news of the Titan Explorer or the submersible. The submarine that went down into the depths to explore the Titanic, the remains of the Titanic. And if you follow the news, you know that when it went down there, there were five people on board and some catastrophe happened and the submersible collapsed. All five people on board died. As tragic as it is, there's a truth behind, behind that tragedy. Here's the truth. At that depth, there is an incredible pressure that the water has. Tons and tons of pressure. No human being can survive down there. What they have to do is create a vessel, create a submarine that is able to withstand that pressure. And the way you withstand that pressure is to have even greater pressure in the submarine than that is outside. And that's the only way this is gonna, it's gonna survive. And that's the only way that the people are gonna be able to complete their mission. The greater truth for you and I this morning is this. First John chapter four, this is what he says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than who is in the world. If we're going to survive this, because the pressure around us is incredible, you may have felt it. 
in your workplaces, in your schools, in your, in your communities, even in your families, you feel the pressure. You feel the pressure of holding on to your beliefs. You feel the pressure of maintaining holiness. You feel the pressure of all of the things that God is calling you to in a world that is contrary to it. And you feel that pressure. And it's coming all at once. And the only way you and I can survive, the only way you and I can live in victory is to have something greater in us than it is in the world. And that is what the Holy, that is what John is saying, that is the Holy Spirit in each of your lives. In you is something greater than it's in the world. So here's the test. Here's the call. Test everything. And the test is this. They confess who Jesus is. And if they confess, do they live in line with that? And if they live in line with that, do their followers reflect that? That's a test. And for you to be able to do this test, you have everything. You have the scripture, you have the Holy Spirit. So as you go into this week, as we take some time to reflect and pray, and as we, as we worship, do this. Ask the Lord for his help. Ask the Holy Spirit to enter into situations where you know you can't do it on your own, where you know you need his help. Because the reality is he's dwelling in you and the, pr the pressure within you is greater than the pressure outside of you. And you're going to be able to do this. You are victorious in the Lord. You have the victory. So let's live victoriously. Let's know Jesus so well that we know when someone doesn't know him well enough. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us of who you are today. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that resides within us. Holy Spirit, do your work in us. Holy Spirit, remind us of who we are in this world that in the midst of the pressure, I pray that you would lead us into all truth. In the midst of the false teachings that come our way, in the midst of what the world tells us we can be, in the midst of the self-actualization talks, in the midst of all the self-help and all of the things that come at us, give us a reminder, help us remember who we are and the work that was done on the cross. Father, we surrender ourselves. As we worship you this morning, I pray that you would lead us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.